number present this morning for Fourth of July weekend, and we're glad you're all here. Um, not sure if we have visitors this morning, but if we do, we are especially grateful you've come out to be with us, and we want to encourage you to come back and be with us. We're going to be talking about an interesting topic this uh, this particular quarter. As James said, we're going to talk about unity in my church, and generally speaking, we. We are talking this year about Jesus' church. Upon this rock I will build my church, Jesus said. But we're also emphasizing, as people generally refer to the church they attend, that's my church. We're talking about, and we're going to be talking a lot this quarter about our church here. So I'm going to start this morning by asking a question in regard to unity. Are we united at East Orange? And I want you to think seriously about that question. I think I asked it in the bulletin. And uh, I want you to really think about that. Are we united at East Orange? We're going to look at this morning. Gotcha. Thank you. (laughs) Let me turn the uh, microphone on. Maybe that will be better. There we go. So are we united at East Orange? Let's begin to explore this a little bit. And I'm going to ask and uh, make several points and ask some different questions. I hope. There we go. What is unity? And you may have heard me talk about it, in, especially in quarter number one, and some of this will overlap with quarter one, or at least I'll bring some points in, and really uh, more than order in the church, I'll make them apply especially to unity in the church. But what is unity? And is our goal for this church, and I speak of the church here at East Orange, not the Church of Christ Universal, but is the goal for this church to have real unity? or what you might call true unity. Or at best, do we look at that and say, you know, when I read a definition of unity, and we're going to look at some definitions in just a second here, that's not practical. We really don't have that, and we really can't have that. And so at best, what we're going to have is a union of believers. Now, you've heard me make the distinction before between unity and union. I'm really going to do that this morning, and especially right now. So at best, are we just striving for and believing that the best thing we can possibly have is a union of the believers here, but not really unity? Because there is a distinct difference between the two. In reality, if you look around at different churches, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about denominational groups, um, the documentary trail that we watched last night that talked about, referred to churches as social clubs, and many times they are, The particular one you're part of, the particular congregation, in reality, what generally occurs in the religious world and in different congregations, various congregations, is disunity. I think most of us, if not all of us that are of any age, have witnessed disunity existing within a congregation. Perhaps you've witnessed it here at this place. And truthfully, you've probably witnessed it in any group or organization that you've been part of, whether that is your work, a job, a school, um, a church, or whatever we might be referring to. People really have witnessed and understand that far more what is practiced is disunity rather than unity. But let's talk about unity. If we looked at the various definitions definitions for unity, we'd find things like this. And I didn't put everything up here, the terms that are used for it. But we find, for example, in mathematics, that unity is a consistent amount 
For example, think of the radii, or the radiuses, if you will, of a circle. If you start at the middle, at the center of a circle, and draw a line out to the diameter, everywhere you draw a line from the center to the diameter is exactly the same length. That's unity. In other words, it is a condition of harmony. And you don't have a circle unless you have that harmony. You have a sphere, you have an ellipse, you have something else, but not a circle. Uh, when I say sphere, I meant you, you have an ellipse. But you don't have a circle. It's got to be equal. So there has to be a chord. There has to be continuity without deviation or change. Think about that. No deviation, no change between each radius of a circle. And each one has a purpose. Each one has an action. If you think in terms of making a circle, you start at a center point and you draw that exact length in a line and do that again and again like so many spokes in a wheel, you are making a circle. So the idea is there is purpose there. There is action in that continuous, equally harmonious part of that circle. It's the quality or state of being made one, and I'm going to use a term a lot of times this morning, unanimity, which means we typically use the adjectival form, the unanimous. And we know what it means to, be, to have something be unanimous. We're all in agreement. We're all for something, that kind of thing. Well, there's unanimity that exists when there is unity. Let's put up another definition. It is a combination or ordering of parts that together, the parts, no part in and of itself, but together they constitute a whole. Now think of a church for a moment. Is a church any one member that's here? In other words, am I the church? You know, it's interesting. I get asked by children. I was asked just last Wednesday, just this past Wednesday, do you own this church? Now, that's an interesting question to me, and it, it always comes from children. I don't know why children think in terms of that, but children ask it. And every few months, someone, some child will ask me the question, do you own that church? Perhaps it's even a kid from the neighborhood or whatever that sees me walking over here, you know, opening up the door and coming in. Do you own that church? No. And I'll tell them. They'll say, who does? And I always say, Jesus. Jesus owns this church. And they're like, Jesus? Jesus owns this church? Yeah, Jesus owns this church. And I try to get into a little conversation with them about that. The point is, I am not the church, and this is not my church, that is, mine alone. No, I'm part of, I, I, that's just it, I'm a part. And I'm part of this church. A combination or ordering of parts that together constitutes a whole or promotes, notice this, an undivided total effect. If you and I come together, as we should, and there is unity, as there should be, as Jesus ordered, and we will talk about that this morning. If there is unity, then we have, a, have an effect. We have a total effect from this church that Jesus meant for us to have. That's the point. And it results in a singleness of effect. It is not many different parts running in many different directions, accomplishing many different things. It is all of us united to accomplish the one thing Jesus meant for us to accomplish. So there is symmetry. 
There's consistency of character. Now, I want you to notice the nuance of difference, and there is a distinct difference between unity and union. Because when you look up union, this is what it means. It sounds, in a quick reading, the same, but it is not. Notice, it is the joining of two or more things. Well, the person says, well, that's what you just said with unity. We're all an equal part. No, listen to it. It's the joining of two or more things that is the formation of a single unit from two or more, and here it is, two or more separate and independent units. Now, that's different. Because the Bible speaks of, and we will look at passages that talk about us being members one of another. If I come together in a congregation, if we come together at this church, and we see ourselves as separate and independent, single units operating in this church, then we miss it. Because all we will have is a union of all these parts. You can take a bunch of parts and throw them on the floor in a pile, and you have union. But you don't have unity. You can take a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle and dump all the pieces on the floor in one pile, and you will have a union of all those pieces, but you don't have unity. You won't have the one desired effect that is meant by all the pieces being connected together as they should into one picture. And that's the difference. You'll notice as it goes on here, there's a growing together of severed parts, divided parts. I ask you this. If you were to take my body and chop it all into pieces, that is, cut my legs off, cut my arms off, cut the hands off the arms, cut the fingers off the hands, and spread them out on a table, and then you were to have so many doctors come together and begin to attach, when would you have unity? You see, with union, as long as they're laying there in severed parts and there is any kind of attempt to put them back together, there is union. But there's not unity. And it won't work. It's still a bunch of severed parts. It's a confederation, if you will. Notice that. Of independent individuals. Now, is that how we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as independent individuals who come together in a sort of confederation? We join where we like. Because that is a confederation. That's the United States of America. It began as a confederation. A bunch of independent individuals who decided to join together where they liked and maintain their individuality. This is a union. We don't speak of the United States as a unity. We speak of it as the United States, yes. But we understand what we mean by that is that it is a union and we are all separate but equal. That's not the church. And Jesus never meant for it to be the church. No, Jesus, in fact, did not mean disunity. Jesus did not mean the inability to agree on the important things. 
When you and I come together, there must be a goal. Whether we do agree or not, there must be the goal. And that's what we just finished two quarters talking about. There must be the goal. We must demand of ourselves that we agree on the important things, else there's disunity. If I'm willing to walk through those back doors and say, I disagree with my brethren about X, Y, and Z, but I believe X, Y, and Z are important, necessary. You must have X, Y, and Z, but I disagree with 40% of my congregation about it, then we do not have unity. We are not united. But if I walk through that back door and say, X, Y, and Z are important, and we must agree on those things, so the goal is for us to agree. And we are working toward unity. So I ask the question again, are we united at East Orange? Because to have unity, you have to have unanimous agreement. At least about the important things. Now again, you can like the Yankees, and I will like my Braves. That's not important. Okay? The Steelers are the best. Okay? The Jets are not. That's not important. You must be baptized to be forgiven of your sins. That's important. We have to have unanimity if we're going to have unity. Now, let's take that further. Let's explore it a little bit further. Are we united at East Orange? You know, in John 17, and you can turn back to John 17 and see this, and I'd invite you to do that. Jesus gave this prayer that's sometimes called the high priestly prayer or simply the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus prayed for unity. In fact, he prayed for his followers and for everybody in the future who would believe in him. That they all may be one. That's what he prayed for. Now, being one, and notice he qualified that. <clears throat> How much? Okay. That we all may be one. How much? Even as we, excuse me, <clears throat> even as we, Jesus said, we, and he meant he and the Father, even as we are one, I pray for all Christians to be one. Now, that's unity. Jesus is equal to the Father. John 5 teaches that. Philippians 2 teaches that. Jesus is equal. They are equal. They are equal in thought. They are equal in purpose. They are completely united. He prayed that for us. But people will come along and ask the question. I was in seminary. We had long studies on this. <clears throat> Is that practical? Oh, Jesus prayed for it, it would be said. But is that practical? We watched this documentary last night about God. Montel and I did, at least part of it, about as much as we could take. But we watched this thing, and they were talking about how man has created God, or the ones who really believed in God would say, God has created all these different religions. And the Muslim religion, you know, the Jewish religion, the Christian religion, the Buddhist religion, and on and on. God has created it. And I thought to myself, man, God must be one mixed up individual. To have created all these different, distinct, disunited groups. Is that what Jesus is saying? Absolutely not. But someone will look at this and say, this is not practical. You can't take any two individuals, whether they're best of friends, married, or anything else, you will not get them to agree on 100% of whatever. That's not unity. It's not practical. It's not even possible. 
And I think most denominational thought, at least where I went to school, is that yes, it is nice, yes, it is an ideal, yes, in a utopian society, that's what you would have, but it's not practical, it's not even possible. But I ask again, can there be unity like Jesus prayed for? Most believe it's neither practical nor possible. You must agree to disagree. And in fact, where I came from, they had a list of what they call fundamentals. They are fundamentalists. And these ten points, in fact, they would talk about, you know, you have to make a covenant with the congregation you come into. And they would literally have a contract. And you would literally sign it and agree to it. I believe in these ten points. We're unanimous on that. We are fundamentalists. But you can only achieve unity and diversity, they would say. There are going to be groups within the congregation. And I ask you here again, are we united at East Orange? Are there groups here? Would you look around this room? And would you in your mind and in your heart divide one group from another in this place? Would you say, I am part of group A? Group A looks like this, thinks like this, dresses like this, is like this. I am not part of group B. Group B looks like this or that. Group B thinks like that. Group B dresses like that. Group B does that, and I ain't that. If you would, we are not united. If you would look around this room and you would see all individuals as equal, we are all part of the same. Each one of us is a radius of the circle. All of us are equal. All of us are striving for the same goal. All of us believe the important things. All of us. Then we're united. Which is it? Because most people would say there are going to be factions. Group A, Group B, Group C, Group D, Group whatever. And factionalism has been normalized. I want you to think about that for a moment. It started with our king... Our Lord saying that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. We are one. I pray they will be one. That's where it started. And now it has come to the point of we must agree to disagree. We must be divided. It is not practical to do what Jesus said. It is not possible to be what Jesus prayed for. Are we united at East Orange? In fact, I think it's come to the point, and if you notice in the context, if you'll look at verse 17, that what Jesus was actually saying is sanctify, set them apart into one group with or by your truth. I think where people are is factionalism has been normalized, and people say you've got to compromise. You've got to, quote, give a little, which really means you've got to sacrifice the truth. Because we are not going to all be set apart through the truth. And that's just reality, someone would say. At least that's what they said where I came from. Is that true unity? I'll even ask, is that really even a union of believers? In the purest sense. Or is it in reality disunity? Are we disunited, if you will? Are we not united at East Arm? Our key verse for this quarter is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
verses 9 and 10. And you can read it up above me, or you can turn and read it in your own translation. Paul said, you were called. He writes to a group that has factions, that is divided. And he said, you were called by God into the fellowship. And I'm going to use the word fellowship and talk about fellowship all quarter long. So I'm going to keep weaving in and out, back and forth, talking about fellowship. What fellowship really is, what the Lord means by it. And in all these passages, and there are many in the New Testament that speaks to fellowship, what it's talking about. You were called by God into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, notice, by the name, the authority of our King, is the idea, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. There's unanimity. All speaking the same thing. What is important? Not the Braves and the Yankees, but what's really important, we all speak the same thing. We're united. And that there be no divisions. The word is schisms. The word is being totally separate. One side versus the other. Same word that's used in Luke 16 by Jesus to talk about Hades, where the one group in paradise is completely divided from the other group in torments. That there be no divisions among you. But that you be noticed perfectly. That is completely, totally joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. Now, that's not just Jesus praying for an ideal. That's Paul commanding a church to be that. Are we united at East Orange? But Jesus merely praying for an unattainable ideal, something you can never achieve. Or is it possible to agree, and notice what I have underlined here, is it possible for us to agree on certain things where we must agree. Is that possible? Because we individually disagree. I know that. I'm not crazy. And I realize I could walk around this room and we could have a long enough conversation, probably, oh, about 16, 17 seconds, and we could find something we disagree about. Because we're individuals. We individually disagree about many things. But can we, first of all, determine where there has to be Unanimous agreement. Unanimity. Can we first of all just start with that? We have, Even if we don't, can we start with saying that is something you have to agree on or the church just loses its identity? It's no longer a united congregation. Can we start with that? Whether we agree on it or not, can we at least start with that where we must unite and collectively agree on those things? Can we say if we don't agree and we're not united, then we've got to work toward it and get to the point where we are. Can we at least start there? And is that the unity described by Jesus, prayed for by Jesus, and ordered by Jesus? And what it would boil down to in simple terms is that the real unity, or true unity of John 17, is not impractical. And it's certainly not impossible. And it's not unattainable. It's not just an ideal. But here's what we would be saying. We would be saying there has to be collective agreement that's mandated by Jesus for unity. There just are things we have to agree on or else we cease to be the Lord's church. But at the same time, and I believe equally important, we understand that there is going to be individual disagreement to allow for growth. Case in point, 
Michael White is a messed up teenager. He's been in a fight and tore his leg all to pieces. He sits and he thinks about his crazy life over the last X number of years. He decides, you know, I've got to turn things around. So he's baptized. He's baptized because Saturday night, after making a decision on Friday night, he's going to be a Christian. On Saturday night, he calls up the preacher who has talked with him, worked with him, sometimes studied with him. When he could get through all the problems to do that, he calls him up and he says, I want to be a Christian. And so the preacher says, okay, we've got to talk about baptism. Well, I was baptized, 12 years old, went down in the river. I was saved in a revival. and No, no, we've got to talk about baptism in the New Testament. We did. I stood at the ironing board and I listened and we looked at it and I said, well, I've got to be baptized. So Sunday morning, I hobbled down to the front. And I'm baptized. This book was like this to me. I knew about baptism. Okay. I got that. But man, what about all this other stuff? I had to grow. And that morning when I was baptized, I disagreed with probably everybody in there about some things. Most everybody in there about... Most things didn't understand half or more, didn't even know it was in it, didn't even know God talked about it, much less agree with them about it. But I learned. And if I had been jacked up, as I would call it, at the back of the building that morning, before I was even baptized, if someone had shoved me in a corner and said, now listen, You've got to do this, you're going to have to do that, you've got to change this, you've got to change that. And we're not talking about the things we should all understand, like you can't lie, you can't steal. Those were the things to me. That's where I was. You've got to stop lying and you've got to stop stealing, you've got to stop beating people up and hating people and all that kind of stuff. Man, I wasn't ready for any of the, all the different doctrines like we just finished debating about with the Lord's Supper. If somebody had hit me with all of that, I don't know what I would have done, but chances are great I would have said... This is not the place for me. And I would have walked out. You've got to allow for growth. That doesn't mean things are not important. They are. Some things are must be. But people have to get there. And they've got to have time to get there. And I'll tell you something else. When Jesus prayed they all might be one, and when Paul said you've been called into a fellowship... He said, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I want you to listen to this next statement carefully. I am not your Lord. I don't own this church. I don't rule this church. I don't make the rules for this church. I am not your Lord. You need to obey when we look at passages in the New Testament, these are some of them we will explore this quarter. So I'm not going to look at everything this morning. But I want you to understand that Paul emphasizes the fellowship of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, it speaks of two gods. And there is no fellowship between Christ and Belial, or most people say Belial. 
In 1 John 1, in verses 3 through 7, John was saying, I'm not your Lord, but Jesus is. And if you have fellowship with Him, and we will look at this passage, if you have fellowship with Him, if we individually have fellowship with Jesus, then we have fellowship with one another. But notice the origin of the fellowship. Where it comes from is Jesus. And so 2 Peter 1 and verse 1, we share like, or we have fellowship in like precious faith. And we're all growing. And we're all at different points. There are people in this, in this room, for example, who have not been anywhere close to three, five years. And there are others that have been Christians longer than I have, 50, 60 years. We cannot expect we're all on the same page. And we cannot expect coming from different backgrounds and different situations and different circumstances, some of us having close to ideal situations growing up, others of us not. We cannot expect we are all coming from the same place. Or we are all at the same point. And yet we are united in Jesus Christ. We have fellowship in Jesus Christ. We all equally, unanimously hold Jesus to be our Lord. We start with that. And we allow Jesus, 2 Thessalonians 2, in a passage I've emphasized all year, we allow Jesus and His Word to sanctify us, conform us, if you will, to the image God wants. And if each of us respects that, we'll have true unity. Because the key to true unity is true fellowship, equal sharing. If we are one, then we are truly in fellowship with one another. And we're going to talk about that. But more importantly, and I mean more importantly, it is because we are in fellowship with the Lord. You and I could have true unity without Jesus. And you heard me say that correctly. Because you and I can all unite and 100% agree on something that Jesus does not agree with. But we wouldn't have the fellowship of the New Testament. The origin would be us. And it very quickly would fall apart as it has throughout history when there's been such. Because one person will begin to look at the other one and say, what gives you the right to tell me to do so and so? And you'd be right. I don't have a right to tell you to do anything. Only Jesus does. So it is through the Lord that we will be united. So are we united? What is unity? I think we've talked about what unity really is. Are we united at East Orange? That's for every individual to reflectively and sincerely answer. Are we united at this place? I'm not saying we don't have unity. And I am certainly not saying we cannot have unity. The question is, do we have it? Do we have real unity, true unity here? Are we simply a union of believers? Or even worse, are we simply a group of people that's just decided, you know what, let's come together, we'll meet on Sunday morning, we'll take the Lord's Supper together, but really there's group A and group B and group C and group D and whatever group. And I see myself part of that. Let's ask another question. Because popularly religious people join together. They certainly do that, but they're never united. In fact, I was taught in school, and that's what I've been saying, I was taught you can't be united, so you don't even try to be united. Oh, maybe on the fundamentals, you know, 
a small, short list. But very little, ten points where I came from, very little is considered important enough to insist on unanimity. The fact that you and I would have a lot longer list on that than that and we would insist on it at this place, they would find lunacy. It's, just, it's totally impractical. No one can do that. Do we, do we here at East Orange collectively insist upon it? And yet at the same time doing that, and how difficult this is, do we allow for individual growth? Or do we get carried away in insisting upon what we consider important? And more and more and more things get added to the list, even things that are not important, but we insist on them. And now we have crossed over and we're beginning to insist that everybody agree about everything with me. No allowance for individual growth. No allowance for the individual to be sanctified, set apart by the truth and by the Lord himself. And that happens in congregations. And I'm sure many of us have seen that happen, either on a small scale or to the point that it completely tears a congregation apart. Are we willing yet to compromise the truth? You see the balance that has to be maintained. I mean, look at those final three points. How hard is that impressing upon me that it is to have unity? If I've got to insist and have unanimity on the important things, but I've got to allow for individual growth, and finally I'm not willing to compromise the truth, what kind of effort does it take to have that balance? How hard is it? To be united. And yet, Jesus prayed. If you're here this morning, and you're not a child of God, if you've never confessed your belief in Jesus Christ, that He is the Lord God, He is the Son of God, you want to be part of His truth, His effort. You want to be a member of His body. But this morning you're willing to repent. Change your life. Live your life according to what the Lord wants. Grow? Yes. And over the course of time you will change, perhaps daily, closer and closer and closer to that image. And if we do our job, we will all help you. And we'll help each other to grow. And this morning you understand, just like Michael did 40 years ago, I need to be baptized. I may not know a whole lot more than that, but I need to be baptized because I've got sins and I need to have them washed away. And it might be that you're a member of the church, this church, and you look at your life and you say, you know, I've been baptized, I've been, but I just haven't been doing what I need to be doing. Or I'm not as strong as I think I need to be. Or when you talk about some of these things this morning, I know how hard it is and I need strength for that. You need prayers of the people here or want them. We're glad to pray together with you. Won't you please come while James leads us in the song?